Hello and welcome to the Global Cosmetics News Podcast. Today, we'll be talking about the only subject anyone is talking about right now, and that is, of course, the COVID-19 outbreak. And we'll be talking about beauty's response. But first, it's my pleasure to introduce our panellists who, due to the lockdown, are all, of course, joining us by phone. We have Joanne Bell from London, Brand Insight and Content Director at Three the Birds, Nicole Fool from Malaysia, Head of Trends, Asian Consumer Intelligence, and Cherie Buziak from New York, who's CEO and founder of Beauty Edge. Welcome all. So one quarter of the world's population is said to be subject to social distancing or confined to their homes as we speak, including all of us, which means consumer behaviour as we know it has not only changed dramatically in the past couple of months, but could change forever. What have been the immediate consequences for beauty? Would Joanne like to start us off? It's hard to overstate the impact of COVID-19 on business and life as usual, regardless of beauty industry or not. I think the ripples from um, a stone fall, like falling into a pond out from China um, in country after country, daily life has been altered for many of us overnight. Retailers are closing, including, of course, beauty specialists like Sephora, Ulta, Selfridges, Space NK across many countries. Some brands, beauty brands themselves, have stopped their own e-commerce activities like NARS. Others, indeed, have ramped them up. And in addition, from a beauty perspective, most countries have stopped professional beauty services on a retail and individual basis, from nail salons to hairdressers. But I think it's fair to say, regardless of the country and individual lockdown policies, What is very clear is that shopping generally and beauty particularly as a a relaxed leisure activity for for fun has vanished overnight. That impulse purchase opportunity um, gone and with um, incomes being squeezed, if um, not vanishing entirely, unfortunately, uh, working from home is rocketed and childcare, (laughs) children running around people's um, feet. What people are using and needing from the beauty industry have significantly changed. And of course, this is against a wider and far more important backdrop of the impacts on people's lives and loved ones. In terms of measurability, there is some data coming through and it's kind of unsurprising. In the UK, during the first week of the pandemic, at the the mid-March point there, according to Capgemini Retail Index, what they saw was that while the year-on-year retail sales growth um, online was down around 2%, actually from a week-on-week perspective, for health and beauty sales, um, indeed, sorry, monthly, um, February saw a massive 20% year-on-year growth. Um, But within that, subcategories are really, really benefiting, or uh, according to the NPD group, um, sales, unsurprisingly, of prestige and luxury hand soap and products have rocketed um, sales uh, for the week um, of 8th of March. They were up over 100% compared to the same time period in 2019. And those sales indeed have shifted online with the online component increased by 199% compared to 2019. So from China, we know that colour cosmetics, although we don't have the figures, have plummeted. And it would be unsurprising if that's not the case here. And Cantor World Panel also have observed a drop in hair washing and frequency. Um, I think it's what to say is that with the shift um, at home, what we're seeing is um, sales of at-home colouring kits rocket, according 
according to CBS News, Madison Reed's kits in America have soared by 750% in the past month. And also demands for things like root cover-up treatment, uh, seeing similar growth. And also at-home products um, such as nail treatments, uh, home masking and beauty devices. And intriguingly, sexual wellness, intimate care and, of course, sleep supporting in CBD. So what we're really, really seeing is a shift to those beauty products that can help and support people from within the home. It's sharp. It's been almost overnight. And the shockwaves are only really just being felt by all of us. And Nicole? To echo what Joanne said, you know, what we're really seeing here is um, emergency beauty from the consumer perspective. Spending time putting on makeup, putting on your face, going out to work no longer exists for many of us. You know, putting on your face um, to go out for dinner or a date no longer exists. So really, it's just that kind of back to basics, which is an, you know, off use phrase, but it, it couldn't be more apt at this point. It's it's literally wake up in the morning, you know, wash your face, tone, moisturize, keep it simple. You're working from home, um, you know, with uh, video conferencing apps becoming the mainstay of most people's day and how they actually interact with other people and even technology that will put makeup onto your face for you you know there seems very little reason for people to go beyond you know emergency or back to basics um you know beauty coverage you know from the perspective of what joanne said around you know root color and and uh, home dyes you know i can also visualize that um, sooner down the line there'll be a lot of people looking at going back to sort of natural colors and grays just because it just seems you know too too difficult to carry on that way from the asian perspective as was mentioned earlier um, color cosmetics have fallen off a cliff Um, you know it depends on the market over here some markets um, seem to be i wouldn't say business as usual um, but it's not as extreme as some places so across asia you've got varying levels of lockdowns Um, i'm currently in malaysia but usually i'm in singapore where it's you know it's a little bit more relaxed with social distancing over there and so you know i guess it depends on the market but for the rest of the world people are really, really deprioritizing what um, the conventional uh, ideas around beauty are just to kind of get through their day. And Cherie, what's happening in New York? So there is um, a lot happening over here. We're just starting to feel the effects of the change. And so where I personally live is a hub and I'm 10 minutes from New York City, which is a major hub of what's happening. So as far as um, the consumer and what I'm seeing from our perspective is a, a pivot. A lot of the smaller indie brands are looking for ways to reach their consumer. Um, and because of Instagram TV and those types of programs and social media that have been put in place specifically for them, I'm seeing so many different um, opportunities pop up for reaching the consumer here. And the approach has been from an emotional perspective of we know this is going on, we're going through it too, and let's move on. And um, some of the options that are being put in place are um, like a free hand sanitizer if you're purchasing a lipstick or free shipping if you post online a shared kindness message on social media. I think one of the things that that I'm also seeing is that there's a, um, a push for supporting local smaller businesses to help them stay afloat. And even options like 
picking up curbside products. So I haven't seen that put into place yet, but I've seen posts about that and ideas and thoughts to move that forward. So when I was looking at this, I was looking at this more of, of what of, what are we as an industry over here doing to respond to our current uh, situation. And I think it's been creative in many ways. Our theme over here is we're walking this out together. We're moving forward together in some fashion. How this will fall out in numbers, I, I can't respond to that right now. Or the financial stability, of, obviously, is going to be affected in some way. But I think the, the other two presenters uh, address that of how that's going to affect financially in the immediate and the long term. We'll have to see. Let's talk hand sanitizer because obviously demand absolutely went through the roof, um, mainly from consumers stockpiling the stuff. Now we're all stuck at home, or most of us are stuck at home. Oh, oh are we still going to be buying hand sanitizer at that rate? Is, is there any need for companies to convert all of their production to the stuff? What is everyone doing with this hand sanitizer? That question to Nicole. Uh, one of my clients um, has obviously shifted a lot of production to hand sanitizer. And I think obviously they will be supplying institutes, um, you know, obviously hospitals and, and medical institutes as well as I think offices and you know and then obviously there's the industrial cleansing which at some point is going to start soon so I'm not sure if it's uh, such a thing over in the west but in Asia you know seeing these big trucks um, literally spraying down streets has become quite a common sight you know they're doing it in uh, Jakarta in China it's a, a routine event now so that could be the next phase of where um, a lot of the sanitizer will will go. Um, and I just think that, you know, at this point, I think people have been, you know, so scared by what's happened and will continue to be scared. I mean, really, to some degree, this is the start of it that, you know, I can only imagine that most people will start stockpiling, you know, 10 of these bottles in their own homes from now on anyway, and and let alone when you go into stores and, and everywhere else. So I think for manufacturers which have shifted production, um, without a doubt, they're going to need this for the foreseeable future. And it will just shift into a different gear in terms of street sanitization fairly soon too. Cherie? I, I, that was a great question about hand sanitizers. Um, I have to say, as, as I was thinking about some of these topics we were speaking about, I'm really, from my perspective, so proud to be in this industry right now because so many major companies have stepped up and have shifted their production to produce hand sanitizers because our hospitals need them, our public needs them, and they're just making and donating. And it's been a beautiful thing to watch this roll out. I think as we go in the future, for sure, it will be not a trend. It's, it'll be a lifestyle in some fashion of hygiene and how we incorporate that into our day-to-day life, whether we're incorporating more materials into the formulations that are immunity boosting or some type of sense of protection going forward. Uh, even right now, I'm working with a client who's considering adding that to a collection. You know, what type of hand sanitizer, what kind of hand cream, what can she incorporate into her collection to um, be responsive to what's happening today. It's definitely a pivot. It's definitely a change that we're all going through. And I, for sure, I believe that that will be incorporated in some fashion. And Joanne? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's fair to say that we've, 
you know, there has already been um, an, in the idea of clean beauty and microbiome beauty already, the idea that the micro world, the smaller world uh, of what's going on and inside our bodies is absolutely essential. So you can absolutely see the beauty industry responding in terms of um, both protective, antiviral, antibacterial um, products that are also elevated, I think it's fair to say. And, and there's been an interesting launch already, um, an Argentinian fragrance house, uh, Fuegra, 1833. And they're actually introducing sanitizing perfume um, called Bioactive Molecules. And it's fully perfume-based, but is also, um, and it has uh, medicinal plant extracts with 70%, obviously, um, ethanol, which is, of course, antiviral, and antibacterial, um, um, that it's actually um, a perfume version, a true high-end perfume version of this of products. And, and you can absolutely see um, that becoming part of everyday life, along with things um, like microbiome um, products, which were already um, something we've talked a great deal about, indeed. Interesting. And in terms of new product development, do we believe if I was um, currently sitting in a new product development team, I would be looking at home spa items, for example, as we've discussed, a lot of beauty services are turning into the house. So, I mean, we discussed, I think it was us exact four who discussed this in our trends piece um, in late 2019, that a lot of product development would be home-based and home would become a, a sanctuary. We didn't realise forcibly at the time, obviously. Um, what what do we think? Let's start with Cherie. What do we think's next? The, I, for sure, that home care will be incorporated almost reminds me of about, I would say, 10 years ago when when we were taking spa-type treatments and bringing them in home and then it started evolving. I think where that shift will be will be certainly, and we spoke about this in the past, where it's very mindful, where even now going online, there are opportunities to get onto or jump onto webinars that are mindful mindsets, like calming yourself down. So now it'll be an incorporation of really taking that action of the mind along with your product to calm you down and really relaxing your home. And as was mentioned, it's almost a forced situation for a little while. Um, but for sure, I can see the shift that is happening with combining that. It's just almost like a, a higher level of relaxation, like on purpose. It's not necessarily a need to have or nice to have, it's a need to have at that point moving forward. So I see that in many different ways of how products are being presented and then also some of the uh, materials that will be incorporated that will still will still be on that natural trend, but also, again, going back to immunity-boosting type of materials to incorporate into the products. Nicole, you guys are a good couple of months ahead over in Asia and some indeed have come out or, or, or haven't needed to impose the kind of social distancing or quarantine. Um, what's the future there? Have people gone back to old habits or will, will this change things forever? I think some of the data that's coming out in, um, is seeing that, you know, consumers, um, now that they've had a, a chance to spend, well, not the chance, uh, but, you know, being forced to spend time at home, um, there are a couple of habits which um, have now set into place. You know, um, the sort of home body mindset has uh, come into play. And 
it seems to be at the moment that the data that's out tends to be really focused around eating and consumption. So, you know, less going out for dinner and as a consequence, you know, more kind of home cooking. You know, obviously everyone had a bit of an on-the-go lifestyle. I mean, everyone globally always did, but, you know, it was always particularly associated with this part of the world where literally people were, you know, working non-stop and always on the go. And now it seems to be shifting to a bit more of a at-home rather than on-the-go lifestyle. And so, the you know, the impact of that that mindset and change um, will impact beauty along the line as well. So at the moment, I think it's really been focused on consumer habits around going out. And that's where it's seen the most impact. And I think that beauty at the currently, um, there's less information out there on that. And let's talk a little bit about home working, because um, well, those of us who are lucky enough to be able to work from home are working from home. Um, what about things like events and exhibitions? I mean, we've been seeing lots of postponements, no outright cancellations as yet. Do we think that people will be going back to offices and going to events after this? Or do you think it will change forever? Joanne, what are your thoughts? I actually have seen um, the first cancellation drop into my inbox just this morning um, with Natural and Organic Products Europe both, well, effectively skipping over 2020, going for their 25th anniversary show in 2021. And actually, interesting, on a short to medium term basis, um, you know, many of the exhibition spaces, particularly in the UK, but um, sadly elsewhere, are being converted into field hospitals, um, such as London Excel, Birmingham NEC. So actually, the physical space where these uh, products, uh, these exhibitions can take place may, may well be compromised for, for this uh, short to medium term. But, but more importantly, I think what it will do is to really focus the mind on value. None of us know what right now the impact in business in general, beauty industry in specific, but we know that the hit is going to be considerable, the contraction um, in both sales, profits, GDP, whatever. And so I think it will be really making people ask questions that before they, they kind of skipped over. Do I really need to go to that event? Is it really worth um, physically and economically uh, traveling for? Um, and we know particularly beauty PR firms are doing uh, virtual launches um, for events now. They're sending the physical product to key influencers and then holding uh, Zoom to um, uh, you know do face-to-face. But the fact is uh, that beauty is a deeply sensorial business. Smell, texture, uh, skin feel, all essential from the product formulation indeed through to packaging. And, and whilst we know that packaging manufacturers are doing 3D um, technical tours of their um, of packaging um, uh, uh, the offer, you know, you cannot replace the, 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 that sense, deeply sensorial um, quality. And indeed, with relationships, you can do so much via digital. We're doing it right now. We're, we're remotely um, connecting. But not everything, not everything in terms of that creative um um, that creative spark, just the time lag, just the practicality of multiple people being on a call, uh, not being able to read body language and the ebb and flow. Um, not that we're, we are animals. We are, you know, we have our, um, our, our senses to meet. And I can never see, whilst there will be a refocus on what is important and some big shows will drop out and perhaps even shutter entirely, I can never see them actually disappearing um, in their entirety. But the good ones, the best ones, will end up um, surviving, I would say. Cherie? 
there are some specific conferences that have already prepared to go online in Cosmetics Global actually is happening now, March 31st to April 2nd. And I've signed up for a few. I haven't, I haven't had the opportunity to join any of the platforms yet. So how I see it right now is how, as a, an industry, do we become innovative? How do we respond? How do we readjust? I see this as a hiccup. Um, and it's new. It's a new angle to look at how we're presenting to the clients. But I do agree that we are in an er- experiential industry where we need to touch and feel what the products are. And going forward, there there are possibilities to learn how to do both online and in real life. Maybe it's a pre-present online, and then sending a product out and doing a meetup of some sort. But for sure. This whole um, situation that we're in is is making us change and looking at new ways that maybe we didn't consider before or stepping into thoughts that we had in the past and now we have to execute them. And Nicole? To think from a different perspective, I mean, if we look at, you know, media from, um, you know, publications such as yourself or even the agency perspective, um, a lot of trade show visits are based around that idea of, um, you know, wondering about seeing what's out there and making those arbitrary connections and and spotting new trends which are coming through. Um, when it comes from the, you know, to presenters or getting information, a lot of that is down to the, you know, the, ser- the serendipity of just, um, you know, uh, connections or conversations that you have at these events and while you know a lot of you know certainly a lot of things can go online uh from my perspective i just don't think that a lot of people will bother logging on you know if they if they have other things to do um they won't bother um you know they'll just kind of get on with their regular work whereas something about a trade show event which forces people to be in that moment so until I think a lot of the things that can be replaced, I mean, you know, uh, all the video conferencing in the world just just cannot replace those in-person connections. However, I think what it will do is it will just, as um, Joanne said, it will just shake out the shows that really um, are not important and it will allow, you know, and, and manufacturers will be forced to just, you know, um, assign their budgets, um, you know, to the shows that matter. And I think that's what will happen for a while. There'll be a consolidation um, and hopefully out of it, Brands will continue to uh, showcase what they do, but perhaps in a, you know there will be a virtual you know a conference happening in between events to keep people in touch somehow. I just think it's a an opportunity for events like this to downsize, but hopefully innovate too. And uh, let's talk a little about retail because I mean it's undoubtedly true that. Uh, Asia's dig- reliance on digital or digital, the dominance of digital in Asia was directly due to the SARS crisis. Um, and now we've got this same thing replicating um, in the West. Lots of people are moving to buying online, uh, particularly at the moment groceries, which the supermarkets just aren't geared up to do. All the sites are crashing. People can't actually get a slot. How are we going to tackle that? And and as as people get used to digital, could that move be permanent? We've already seen high street chains uh, collapse um, both here and in the US. Joanne, why don't you start us off? We are in incredibly uncharted territory 
What we do know is that someone, uh, uh, Daniel Langer from the, uh, he's a, a luxury beauty commentator who writes for Jing Daily, the, the Chinese insight site, has talked about digital super acceleration. That actually, that this trend, this move to online, the growth to online, the love of Gen uh, Z, whilst and Gen Alpha, whilst loving the in-store experience, wanted to quite frequently purchase and experience products online. And heritage brands were already suffering and, um, from this shift to online. The lion's share of the growth um, was e-commerce or social commerce, in fact, in China, you know, buying straight from digital platforms. Um, so there was a, this is actually um, almost kind of the super acceleration towards a reality that was happening in any case. I mean, I think that the, I think there's something, there's two aspects to that. And I don't think we can predict in, in absolute terms the numbers in terms of percentage. But where we know is where we'd started from, which was still in the UK and in developed economies in the West, which is roughly um, re- real life purchases were around 80% with 20% online. I can only think that there will be a massive recalibration. But even then, remembering in China, those online purchases are still only uh, for beauty, only still around um, 30% to 40% for the for the biggest brands um, online. So I don't think we're going to completely switch what we do. But I think what we will do is see brands um, that have previously been very tardy um, to the to the digital world really um, change what they do in terms of their Instagram, in terms of getting Amazon uh, stores where perhaps um, they'd been um, a little um, leery of um, doing that, seeing it diminishing the uh, you know the prestige of the brand. I think what we're going to see is that all brands are going to. I guess, effectively shift their risk to have um, both in terms of their marketing function and their commerce function across many more doors. Whereas, you know, and it's notable that um, Douglas, the um, big beauty retailer in um, Germany and into, I think it's 20 to 30 other countries um, within Europe, has actually opened its e-commerce platform up to brands and smaller retailers, beauty brands and smaller retailers that didn't have that ability to sell directly uh, to consumers themselves. So I think what it's done is really, really just brought the laggards into um, this new, much more digital reality. And it's notable that a brand like Glossier, which has always been digital first, isn't really, I mean, allowing for the localized issues around shutting up manufacturer or distribution um, issues on, on a rolling basis, they're all ready to go. Their, their conversations, their engagement with their consumers were already in this digital space. It's now really the time for um, more um, heritage brands and non-digital brands to catch up. Let's talk a little bit about Amazon because, uh, you know, there's actually been instances in the past few years where companies have sued um, distributors for selling their products on Amazon. Do we do you think we're going to see a bit of a backpedal here, um, given that Amazon has all the logistics in place and uh, those who don't will find it hard to put them in place now? Uh, Cherie, what do you think? Do you think brands will be uh, queuing up to uh, list on Amazon now? That's a good question. I think it's a little too soon to respond just because of supply chain and logistics that are currently happening, especially in our area where we are, and even you know how many workers they can bring in to execute the orders. So I think 
because of the digital space and being able to platform products pretty easily, if you have somebody who is savvy of, of getting a site up for yourself, there's ways that um, I would say even smaller brands can jump on board and take um, opportunities. I don't know if we always have to depend on Amazon. I don't know if that's the what everyone wants to hear, but um, there, there are other opportunities of, of being able to sell. That would be my comment for right now. I, I, I think it's kind of soon to, to respond to that. Nicole? One of my clients in the UK, a retail brand, um, doesn't have an online presence. And uh, I hadn't actually realized that because uh, we'd always dealt with them in a, in a different way. And actually, when I was, you know, looking at their situation, it's actually shocking from um, a perspective that in 2020 that they lack a digital presence. You know, if there are fishermen in Malaysia who put their catch on, you know, uh, Facebook Live and in China, people are selling, you know, everything um, through live streaming and literally in you know, rural farmers are selling apples and, you know, depending on how well they do through their live streaming, um, can make anything from a couple of thousand to literally tens of thousands of dollars through live stream casts. So if these, you know, one woman, one man operations can embrace digital, then I find it extraordinary in 2020 that um, huge brands cannot. So, Sorry if that sounds harsh, but what's been really amazing about independent beauty brands um, is the fact that they have, you know, embraced digital, gone mobile first, um, direct to consumer and, um, and, and, you know, are ready to uh, move forward. Whereas, you know, older brands in some cases have not. And, you know, this is it's a terrible wake up call, but, um, you know, it's it's perhaps what they needed. And Joanne? Yes, absolutely. I can only echo that. As, as you know, I said about that that digital super acceleration. Um, what we're seeing is, as a design agency is brands that have previously, say, perhaps not been as focused with its in digital engagement strategy. So whether that's Instagram, Pinterest, Facebook, um, their own websites, all of those things, where they're actually looking to create. The, the, the visual and communication um, collateral to help them engage with consumers, you simply can't imagine Glossier having to run <laughs> to actually put um, that kind of material in place to deal with this crisis. As, as um, you know, it's been said, it really is a wake-up call. But actually, you know, there, there is there obviously there's so much and there's so many shockwaves going throughout the industry. But, you know, we have, many of us indeed on this call have been calling for heritage brands to embrace the digital future, looking to China, looking to Asia, where social shopping is king, where engagement, um, whether that's through you know um, augmented reality or personalization, all of those other things that have been led by the most digital first and forward brand, you know, the, the new reality has just hit us all a lot more quickly and a lot more swiftly and suddenly than any of us could have realized indeed. And now, as uh, Cote admitted last week, there's always opportunity in a crisis. Looking at what's happened so far, who do we think is going to be the winners and the losers in this scenario? Nicole, let's start with you. If we kind of look from the Asian perspective, some of the data out there um, shows that JD 
Com reported that online grocery sales grew 215% year over year between late January and early February. Um, that was a 10-day period. And when we're looking at even Korea brands there, um, Olive Young, which is a, a big drugstore brand or retailer, um, you know, they're kind of <laughs> almost in a way uh, struggling to fulfill um, orders because people are, you know, shopping nonstop and deliveries are up. So the reality is, is that from a day-to-day perspective, people still need to eat, still people still need to wash their clothes, people still need to wash their face and their hair. So the basics are going to win. The brands that deliver those are, are the ones that we all know. They're the household names. But, you know, from time to time, people want to buy something in the so-called frivolous category or that's non-essential so from our perspective you know the reality is is that people kind of are hunkering down but they still need to survive and they still need to shop and it's being able to actually fulfill those deliveries and the brands that can are the winners and obviously they're the um you know the 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 companies behind the super apps and they're in the west they're the amazons of this world so um there are definitely winners out of this sheree what do you think for me, when I when I think of like who will be the winners, I'm, I'm looking from brand perspectives of how they're um, approaching their customer right now because it's not just about the product. We there is the emotional piece, that emotional connection of saying we understand where you're at because we're there too, and how do we speak to our consumer at a more intimate level first to engage to address the stress, address the change, and then respond to that and, and see what that gap and that need is. There's a lot that I'm seeing specifically from major companies that the CEOs are first giving their statement of, we know how you feel. This is what we're doing on our part. We're going to get through this. And and that's the common thing that I, I continually see on pulses. We're getting through this together. So I think the winners will be those companies that that add that personal touch um, about the challenges that we have, and then also how they will be responding to the needs and the gaps to service the consumers with the products that are needed. Of course, as mentioned, food is needed, and then uh, personal care. And even even though we're going on uh, Zoom, Zoom is my new best friend, any type of video conferencing, um, I do believe that people are prepping before they get online, whether it's a gloss or they're just kind of maybe finding something to touch up a root, you know, hairs that have grown in or doing their brows or something from a female perspective. I do believe that that as we continue that, um, that's not going to go away. I think it's just a shift. We're kind of all in this shock mode. And I was speaking with a, a friend the other day is about, you know, it's five degrees of grief or loss is first you're in shock and then you kind of are not happy about it. And then there's an acceptance role. So um, I think all of these changes and, and how the people and the customers are um, responding to that um, will be important to the companies that want to win. And, it, and it's almost getting, getting online in the same line mindset of who your consumer is because we're all going through this together. And Joanne? Oh, I can only really, really um, echo what Sheree just said around the, the the human element of brands being able to reach out and effectively shift from offering purely product to something that's actually an experience that shows that they understand their consumer needs. And I think it's really notable that 
you know, every day when I get my never-ending series of emails from people selling me stuff, and I, I'm sure everyone here will have noticed the, the mass sale, um, um, the discounting, the discounting coming in, um, buy this, buy this, buy this, and it falls so flat because virtually all of the consumers, whilst we do want to have those small pick-me-ups, indeed, it's not all about just the basic um, personal care, um, it, it's just insensitive it's culturally and practically insensitive in a time where buying more buying more at a discount is really not that relevant and i think it's notable that the kinds of um it's not just about being digital it's the manner in which you're being digital and i thought it was very interesting that brands that are able to um, bring their brand purpose to life in a digital manner that is congruent and mindful of consumer needs are the ones that are going to really benefit because I'm thinking about uh, uh, like Bleach London, say. So Bleach London, a hair care brand famous for absolutely bright, fun, frivolous going out. Right, well, they can't do that, but they're shifting online to have um, uh, color parties and hair parties which reflect the brand but help people connect with others, their salon stylists, their regular customers. So it's going to create some of that in-store salon experience and keep those connections um, while in a digital way. Um, wellness and beauty brand Leo has taken its crystal healing and Reiki sessions online. Um, you know, that's not just merely about selling products. It's where people are actively helping support people and to create those moments that have been effectively taken away from them. And so, yeah, I think it's not just about selling. It's also about that, that comms piece and, and, and helping to understand which needs need to be met and doing it in a really sensitive way. And, and, and those brands that, that, that I have a little cringe when I see those emails pop in that don't seem to pay attention to the fact that, you know, we're not going out anymore and there may be budgetary constraints or whatever. Um, yeah, I probably don't plan to buy from them after after this is all over. And the same could be said for how brands have treated their employees. I mean, there's already vilification going on, certainly in the UK, um, Sports Direct being being one who's uh, hit the headlines for a particularly insensitive approach to its employees. Um, will, will that also come into play afterwards, do we think, Nicole? For sure. From a personal perspective, you know, Nicole, British person, looking at these tone-deaf brands, does make you cringe, you know, and, and obviously, uh, probably like all of us, I have a mental list of brands that when I'm back in the UK, I will never shop again and, um, you know, and scowl at if I walk past their stores. So for sure, that's my perspective. Um, from a business perspective in Asia, I think people are less emotional about brands. It's just about, you know, mostly, it's mostly about efficiency and value and price. And so generally speaking, you know, if someone's online, uh, any of the uh, the local jd.com and Alibaba and all the rest of it. If anyone's shopping on those, they're looking at price. They're not really thinking about who's selling it behind the scenes. So I definitely feel that that's a, a division, generally speaking, between East and West. But I mean, you know, today I was reading about Shantakai, which um, is doing an afternoon tea set at a, a fancy hotel in Singapore, it, you know, and they're kind of mixing up their products in with an afternoon tea set, um, but lots of social distancing going on between people. And and, it, and it's quite hard to read that, you know, it's like, uh, I mean, maybe if I was in Singapore, I wouldn't feel so bad about it. But being in Malaysia, where the restrictions are, are, are pretty strong here, you know, it's this sort of really weird disconnect to thinking that, wow, I, I'm going to be looking at Shantakai 
products and spraying them over my face while I'm, you know, eating a, a you know, a shoe creme. It, it seems a bit odd. So, you know, uh, it's a really difficult question to think about. And Cherie? Yeah, I, I think just going back to earlier with what I've seen happen with major corporations stepping up and shifting their manufacturing plants to produce masks, to produce hand sanitizers, and even seeing the volunteerism of the employees because a, a lot of mandates and restrictions were on to not go out and how they're just stepping up into the roles now and also seeing um, corporate letters coming from the CEOs to, to their employees saying, we want to make sure you're safe if you need anything. There's a lot, a lot of outreach going on, a lot of outreach happening here especially in this area. And I, and I, I'm going to say I definitely am in the hub right now of this um, epidemic. Our numbers are increasing daily. I am 10 minutes from New York City. And if you haven't seen, the Jacob Javis Center has just been turned over into this major facility to um, bring in patients and such. And so there's such a, a huge outreach and that they are coming in front of the public. These companies are coming in front of the public and being not bold, but saying, hey, again, and, and I, I know I keep referencing this, but this is what I'm saying. It's like we're moving through this together and this is how we do it. This is how we're doing it and we're getting through. So I do believe that companies are conscientious of their employees. I think it's a new shift for a lot of companies, corporate companies in particular, that maybe were very hesitant of allowing their employees to work from home, but seeing the benefits of that. And as we come out of this, you know, what, what will that be and how will that be incorporated? Um, we have a lot of um, entrepreneurs here in uh, the U.S., around the world globally. And so some of us are used to being working at home and, and others were with families and such, like, how do I do both? And, and I think uh, companies now are starting to see how that can happen. So it was almost like an opportunity put into place to move forward in certain ways. So I see this as a as a benefit. And I do see that companies are really, they, they want to keep their good workers, their good employees, and uh, how to make that work. Thank you. I'd like to thank everyone for taking part today. Thank you for joining me from your respective quarantines, Joanne, Nicole and Cherie. And thank you to our audience for listening. Until next time. <laughs>